Welcome to Follow Him, a weekly podcast dedicated to helping individuals and families with their Come Follow Me study. I'm Hank Smith. And I'm John, by the way. We love to learn. We love to laugh. We want to learn and laugh with you. As together, we follow Him. My friends, welcome to another episode of Follow Him. My name is Hank Smith, and I am here with the illustrious John, by the way, my wonderful co-host. Welcome, John. Thanks. Before we get started today, we need to mention a couple of things. One, we want you to find us on social media. Uh, You can find us uh, on Instagram. You can find us on uh, what's that other one called? Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> what's that other one called? Um, you can rate and review the podcast, uh, on your, uh, podcasting app. Uh, a lot of people don't know. You can actually watch the podcast on YouTube. Um, if you would like to just go look us up there. Uh, and we want to make sure that our missionaries who are watching on Facebook, uh, get a shout out because, uh, we've had some messages from some missionaries and just know that we love you elders and sisters. And also we do a, uh, a little, a thing called follow him favorites on social media as well. So we've got a lot going out there that we want everybody to know about and uh, come give it a try. Uh, But let's get to it, John. We, every week we get to bring on one of the church's great minds. Uh, And we have another opportunity this week um, to, to hear from a great mind of the church. Uh, Who's with us today? We, We do. I'm so excited about this. This is Dr. McLean Heward. And I've got a little bio here. He graduated with a PhD in the history of Christianity and religions of North America from Claremont Graduate University in 2019, just over two years ago. He met his wife, Maria, who is a professional pianist on a piano bench in high school. (laughs) Gotta hear that story. Um, And they have five fun, active, happy children. They probably also play the piano, I bet. He currently teaches at the Institute of Religion, adjacent to Utah Valley University, has spent time teaching in a BYU religious education, as well as the seminary system, uh, primarily at Lone Peak. And uh, McLean, welcome. We're so glad to have you here today. Thanks for being with us. Uh, you know, t- to say that it's it's my pleasure is, is an understatement. This is, um, I am so excited to be here. I really appreciate you letting me come on. John, did we want to hear more about the piano bench before we got started? Yeah, that's a fun story. Where did you go to high school and, and had it, was that an assembly or a talent show or what? A couple of my friends walked up to me and they said, hey, we think that you should like Maria. And I was like, wow, Dill, who's Maria? <laughs> and they, they pointed down the choir steps to the girl sitting on the piano, the piano bench. She wasn't on the piano. Uh, sitting on the piano bench, and I, I walked down the stairs, and I sat next to her, and I said, "Hi, my name's McLean. What's your name?" And uh, and that's, I mean, that's that was she's, it. She's a redhead. She's got beautiful freckles and big blue eyes, and and uh, and her face went red. And I was like, "This is going to be a fun experience." So I I was a senior, she was a sophomore, and she she's just so cute, man. Oh, uh, that's wonderful, so Eminem. Eminem. Maria, I just met a girl yeah. named Maria. <laughs> I yeah. bet she's never There's heard a song that. about that. <laughs> now we know the origin. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Um, let's jump into uh, this week's Come Follow Me lesson. Uh, we are studying sections 51 through 57 of the Doctrine and Covenants. Uh, let's jump into section 51. The heading says uh, we're talking uh, to Bishop Edward Partridge, who needs to make arrangements for the settlement of the members moving to Ohio from New York. We've talked about that move. 
Um, so, uh, McLean, let's start with Edward Partridge and what it's been like for the Saints moving, uh, migrating from New York to Ohio. I am a personal fan of, of Edward Partridge. Uh, I love this man. He is a disciple. Um, maybe I could just say one thing really quickly to, that, that helps maybe contextualize all of these sections. The Lord is is very much focused on Zion. Joseph Smith makes a, a comment um, in in the history where he basically says that Zion is th- the focus, the temporal focus of the church. And in the minds of the Latter-day Saints, this is this is the kingdom of God. Zion and the kingdom of God are really synonymous. They're, they're equal to each other. And so they're trying to establish the kingdom of God on earth. And um, we know today we would say that, you know, the temple and ordinances are preparing us to receive the Savior here on earth and, and prepare to be in his presence, whether that is something that happens because we're on earth during the second coming or or we we die and we we go to meet him but those temple covenants are are central to enter god's presence so as you think about those temple covenants i can say this without getting struck by lightning because it's on the church's official website this is not okay. antimormon.org this is churchofjesuschrist.org they they list the covenants that we make in the temple the law of obedience the law of of sacrifice the law of the gospel faith repentance baptism Repentance, you know, repentance and being cleansed, um, the law of chastity and the law of consecration. So although the temple, the formal organizational structure of, of the temple and the temple ceremonies are yet to come, God is already leading the members of the church through the process of, of, of becoming temple-centric, Zion-centric, kingdom of God-centric, presence of God-centric people. And today... Um, Today we talk about going to the temple and symbolically learning through the life of Adam and Eve. But we've got to understand that although we go to the temple and learn symbolically through Adam and Eve, God is attempting to teach us those same five principles, those same same five laws in our daily walk, in our daily activities, commandments, obedience, sacrifice, repentance when we don't get it right. Chastity, one of the main uh, natural inclinations, desires, impulses, the, the controlling of that. And then finally, to control all things. And, and yeah, as consecration, we see in these, right? y- yeah, consecration. As we see in these sections, we're going to come up with a whole bunch of different examples of people who, who both exemplify consecration and who don't who falls short of the expectation. Um, and I, I hope, I hope that we can see in these sections that, you know, there's a lot of temporal type things. There's a lot of administrative type things, but we've got to remember that like God says in section 29, he's never given a direction that's temporal. It's always spiritual to him. And, and so although we have these structures that help place us, this really is, to help prepare us to be in God's presence, um, to help prepare our hearts. Oh, Lord, prepare my heart to meet with thee on Zion's Mount and never more to part. That's, that's what we're attempting to do is, is institutionalize or systematize these, 
these directives and laws that God is laying forth in the restoration of the church. When Dr. Sweat was here, he said that a general authority once said to him, never underestimate the spiritual power of doing temporal things well. Yeah. Right. Uh, and I think that's what I heard here is we're going to institutionalize this, but it's a spiritual, it's a spiritual thing. And, and, and you know, um, I think that the foundation of what we're going to be talking about is actually, it actually begins in section 38. You're going to see this individually, but, but section 38 is collective, right? So, so section 38 is, is the temple ceremony and the sections that we're going to be covering are the individual lives of saints that, that learn these, these truths. But, you know, okay. section 37 has just said to the saints, move to Ohio, right? Yeah. And just imagine, right? I know you've covered, you, we, we've covered this in the podcast, so I don't want to spend a lot of time, but, but just this idea of like move to Ohio and the saints are like, wait, wait, what? Can yeah. it, and it doesn't seem from my perspective, uh, it doesn't seem like they're complaining as much as can you give us a little bit more information about this? Yeah. And then section 38 comes, right? That does give a lot of in- information. But one of the things that God says is, if you have a farm, which you got to remember, this isn't, you know, <laughs> you and I, Hank and John, we can go anywhere on the in the world and be teachers. Anywhere there's yeah. humans, right? We can <laughs> go and be teachers. But these people are predominantly farmers. They... Their retirement is bound up in a location, in a place. And so in section 38, uh, God's saying to him, hey, if you are, leave it, sell your farm or <laughs> rent it or leave it. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Like what? I, that's, yeah, that's, that's hard. That's hard to emotionally get into that space. Like how, how do you, how you actually feel? But, but let me just say one thing about this parable oh, that God gives in, in section 20 or in verse 24, 25 and 26, well, and, and 27, because I think it's, it's the foundation, the root of, of what we're going to be talking about today. You know, God says, let every man esteem his brothers himself. And then to really help us understand that this is the context of the parable, he says it again, verse 25, let every man esteem his brother as himself. Yeah. And then he gives a parable teaching the principle. And so the way I the way I like to contextualize this, it's like what what do we put in in between the space between us and other humans? Like like what's the feeling? What's the emotional thing that we put in that space? And like with with Hank with with you, I hope that this is okay to get a little personal. Um, sure, not embarrassing, just personal. <laughs> you know, I remember the first time I I met you as a master student. You were a PhD student, and and I was a master student mm-hmm. at BYU. And I remember getting a vibe that here was a man that that uh, had a, a a great heart and was just trying to bless people's lives, right? And so in in between you and I, I put I put a feeling. It was respect. It was admiration. It was, it was tenderness, right? I mean, there's, there's this feeling, but to be honest with you, most of us put apathy between us and other humans, Mm. but then check out this, this parable for what man among you having 12 sons. So he wants Mm -hmm. us to think that we're the, the father, what man among you having 12 sons and is no respecter of them. Like we love them equally and they serve us obediently. And he saith unto one, Be thou clothed in robes, and sit thou here, and be thou and the other, be thou clothed in rags, and sit thou there. And looketh upon his sons and say, right. I am just. So, so uh, this this may be a, a false um description of this parable, 
uh, Alonzo Gaskell, he might fight with me about symbolism here. But from my view, I think God is saying, we're the parents and people surrounding us are clothed in robes and rags. How will we treat them? What will we, how will we esteem them? What, what emotion will we put in the distance between us and them? Mm. And, and it's really important, I think, that he puts us in the shoes of a father. John and Hank, I know you are both fathers, right? It, the love that we have for our children, the love that a righteous father should have for their children, I think is what God is saying we should attempt to have for everyone, all of our brothers and sisters. And that becomes a foundation for for what we're going to be talking about today. Do we love God and understand that he's given us everything? And then do we love our fellow men so passionately that we cannot think of them suffering without extending a hand? without lifting the hands that hang down. That's our baptismal covenant. We've 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 got to be Christians in that in that way. So so those two things I wanted to mention at the beginning to help contextualize what we're going to be talking about here in section 51. Well, what you just said reminds me of Edward Partridge who is kind of the center yes. of, of section 51. Yes. This man as I've studied him, I keep thinking, "Oh, I can't be more and more more impressed by Edward Partridge." Then I hear something. And I'm like, I'm more impressed with Edward Partridge, the first bishop of the church. I mean, the Lord himself is, here's a man without guile, right? (laughs) He's complimenting him. And he is, he literally gets, receives the gospel, is baptized, is thrown into leadership, and that's the rest of his life, uh, is sacrifice and consecration and helping other people sacrifice and consecrate. I mean, the man, one of my goals, John, I've said this before, is for some of these lesser known names for our podcast to kind of bring them out and say, this is someone you, you want to know, Edward yeah. and Lydia Partridge. <clears throat> um, let, let me give a tiny bit of, of the story behind, because, because one of the things I love about Par- Edward Partridge is he's human. Yeah. You know, sometimes, sometimes we, we learn about people and we think, oh, wow. Is this, is this person yeah. even human? I don't, do they ever make mistakes? And you see his humanity, and you see his wrestle with, with trying to, 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 to live these laws that God is attempting to have all of his, all of his yeah. children live. And so let's just give a tiny bit of background story. So he, he does become the bishop. Um, he, in section 52, he and Joseph are asked to, to go to Missouri, right? Um, Edward Partridge is a successful businessman in, in the Kirtland area. He's used to a type of lifestyle that, that comes with success. And he's also, as he as Joseph are traveling to, to, to Missouri, to the land of their inheritance, right, to Zion, <laughs> he knows that there's been a group of missionaries that have been there preaching the gospel. And these are high-octane missionaries. This is Oliver Cowdery. This is Ziba Peterson. This is Parley Pratt. This, I mean, these, are, these, are, these are really great missionaries. We, we've recently talked about Parley Pratt with the Shakers. And uh, he was, he, you couldn't hold Parley back. He was, you don't, <laughs> you don't mess with that human. You don't mess with that guy. Uh, so you know, Parley Pratt, Ziba Peterson, Peter Whitmer, and Oliver Cowdery. 
Yeah. Yep. So those four. So they've been they've been there preaching in in Missouri for months, and so there's a certain expectation that that Edward Partridge has as he comes to Zion, that there's going to be kind of a uh, an energy. There's going to be some some converts to the church, but then also I think he has some expectations in terms of this is going to be Zion, right? When when talk about talk about Zion, we think oh. This is going to be nice, right? This is going to yeah. be nice. This is the kingdom of God on earth. Here we go. And when he gets to Zion, he finds that those expectations are not met. Oh, yeah. And he gets in a, such a heated argument with Joseph Smith. Um, Edward Partridge and Joseph Smith, and there's two ex, there's two, at least two spectators, Ezra Booth and Sidney Rigdon. After the, the conversation is done, Sidney Rigdon, uh, it, his reaction is basically, how could Edward Partridge talk to God's prophet that way? Hmm. Ezra Booth takes the exact opposite experience and says, how could God's prophet talk to Edward Partridge that way, right? Hmm. And this is one of a couple of different things that that will eventually lead to Ezra Booth leaving the church, writing nine letters to, I think it's the Ohio Star, exposés about Joseph Smith that eventually lead to the John Johnson farm and the persecutions and the attempted murder of Joseph Smith, right? Right. Uh, so, 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 I mean, this is, a, this is a significant argument. And so Edward Partridge is, is, is feeling like this is not Zion <laughs> and these people are not Zion-like people, Right. And in section 58, God has to rebuke him, which I, I know is not our assigned topic, uh, but but he has to rebuke him. And, and the beauty of it is that he is reconciled to Joseph completely. Hmm. And their relationship is, is, is better. God, in effect, says to Edward Partridge, which you'll cover next podcast, uh, he, he, in effect, says to Edward Partridge, you thought that I was going to give you Zion. You've got to build Zion. Mm. That's and a lesson for a, all of us. Yes. Yeah. Yes, it is awesome for all of us. Um, I, I think of, to tell you the truth, you know, as an institute teacher, I, I think of uh, my some of my, my institute students, and I know some of them don't like to admit this, but I know some of them shop for wards. Right, they're like, oh, which ward should I go to? I I, I got to find the ward with the leadership and yeah, and the party, the good times, yeah, the, yeah. The, the the opportunities for dating, right? Yeah, and and I I think that God has a message for us um, about creation of Zion. Like like we got to get in there and we got to create Zion. Not expect it to happen. Same with families, right? I mean. I think there's a lot of mom and dads listening. I hope mm-hmm. there's a lot of mom and dads listening that, uh, you know, um, and this is a constant wrestle as a parent. How how do I create Zion yeah. with my kids? And, and, you know, later in the Doctrine and Covenants, God talks about how our dominion will flow to us without compulsory means. You know, as, as parents, we, we wrestle with this forcing our kids to do what is right or, 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 you know, strongly encouraging, you know, and and this idea of like, eventually those kids have to flow to us without compulsory means. Hmm. They have to want to be a part of us. They have to want to be led by us, just like our relationship with God. He doesn't force prayer. He invites prayer. 
Um, in the Come Follow Me curriculum, there's a fantastic video by Stephen Harper where he talks about consecration. He and Kate Holbrook, two beautiful minds, brilliant minds, talking about consecration. And in the end, um, one of the things that that Stephen Harper says, he says, in effect, um, uh, some members of the church currently say, well, when is God going to to require consecration again? And Stephen Harper in this beautiful, uh, in, in a way that he can with his research and with all that he knows, he yeah. says, God has never required consecration. Mm-hmm. He has invited consecration. He's never required it. And, and it's never been enforced. And, and, then, and then he talks about, you know, um, this is us. God is inviting us to pray. He calls it a commandment, but, but in section 82 of the Doctrine and Covenants, commandments according to God are directions how to be saved. And we know that salvation is becoming like God. So in some ways, commandments are just directions how to become like God. Yeah, invitations, right? Yeah, yeah, and so commandments we we think of them as these domineering things, but but it's a beautiful invitation to become like God. So yes, consecration is is it's a covenant. It's something we covenant to to participate in with the law of consecration and the temple ordinances. But it's an invitation. Yeah. So so anyway, I guess what I would say about Edward Partridge, you know, he gets to Missouri, he argues with Joseph Smith. And then he has to realize that he's he's going to bring his wife and five daughters that are used to this type of lifestyle to Missouri that is not ideal in any way, shape, or form. I, I don't think our listeners would quite understand, but I think it was Joseph who said, the people of independence are a hundred years behind the times. Mm-hmm. And this was 1831. So he's thinking, get these people got to come out of the 1700s. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's a it's a frontier, and I I I love when we can help paint a backdrop for people of what I mean. How many states are there in the union? Twenty six or something. And this is right. This is the edge of the wild frontier. And I I think Ed, Edward Partridge tells Lydia something as in every other establishment is either a bar or a house of ill repute. Like that's every other business. In here in You're gonna Zion. take your family there. <laughs> yeah. 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 Let me read this quote from, from Joseph Smith history. He characterizes this as uh the, the residence as the quote basest of men who quote had fled from the face of civilized society to the frontier country to escape the hand of justice in their midnight revels, their Sabbath breaking, horse raking, racing, excuse me, and gambling. You, we gotta understand that that the Western frontier provides a lot of opportunities. And who needs opportunities? Well, there's a couple of different groups of people that need opportunities. We have people that that are uh, um, distanced from society, right? Um, because of perhaps religion, perhaps legally. Um, there absolutely is an element here. Uh, divorce is not, an, not really an, an option in this day. And so if, if you don't like your family, what do you do? You move to the West. They'll never find you, right? right? And, and so there's a whole bunch of stuff and a whole bunch of types of people that are in, interested in this type of a place. Also people who are speculating on land, right? Those who want to come out and make some money uh, by buying up some land and trying to sell it later. So th- this is <laughs> going to lead to, 
This is going to lead to an interesting recipe of people yeah. in a couple yeah, of years. You know, in, in 1832, um, the, the, the popular American writer, Washington Irving, he traveled through Independence, Missouri in, in 1832. And listen to what he said. This actually comes right from the Joseph Smith papers, uh, from, from some of the oh, historical okay. backgrounds some, from section 59. Just as a, a plug f- for this, for, for your listeners, I often, when I read a section, go to Joseph Smith papers, I look up the section, and I begin by reading the historical background. That gives yeah. me a good sense of, of what's happening. But So Washington Irving, who traveled through independence in 1832 on an expedition with federal Indian commissioners, also commented on the, quote, rougher and rougher life, end quote. <laughs> uh, what does that mean, right? <laughs> like, we have a rough crowd, but this is the rougher and the rougher crowd, right? <laughs> we got both, right? Um this is this is rougher so squared funny. for all the mathematicians yeah. listening, right? And then and then he said that um, uh, as he got closer to town, um, one of his companions described independence as full of promise, but containing quote nothing but a ragged conjuries of five or six rough log huts, two or three clapboard houses, two or three so called hotels. Elias Grog Shops, and a few stores. <laughs> and uh, from what I understand, a grog shop is uh, the state liquor store, basically. Okay. <laughs> right? This particular dictionary defines it as a saloon bar room, especially okay. a cheap one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, McLean, let me, let's do this. Um, so, we're not in Missouri yet. Section 51, we're still in Ohio. But you're saying over this summer, this is going to be the trip to Missouri. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So, so, so really the, I guess the immediate context here of section 51 jumping right into this is the Colesville saints have traveled from, from New York and they are now, um, they're now in Kirtland and it's, where do we go? Where do we, where do we take up residence? Why don't you remind everybody just quickly, the Colesville saints, those are the ones, but from Harmony, Pennsylvania, right? Right in that area. Yeah, so so this is, these are the knights, right? These are the the knights that help Joseph help assist Joseph in the work of translation. They first meet Joseph um, when when he's uh, engaged in um, that silver mine and yeah. speculation. Yep. Yeah. And Newell Newell Knight has this beautiful story where he's drawn his heart is drawn to Joseph, and he has has trouble praying vocally. And Joseph kind of takes him under his wing and just in this really sensitive way, just just, just ministers to him in such a delicate and beautiful way. And so he, Newell and, and Joseph really, really have this friendship starting in 1826, if, if, if my memory serves me correctly. Right, yeah. And, and so the, the Knight family's always been interested in Joseph and his work and, and they've always seen him as an honest seeker of truth. And, and they um, created a branch there. So when the church was organized, they created a little branch in what we say, Colesville. But I want everyone listening to kind of attach Colesville and Harmony together uh, because that's kind of where that group is. I think um, it's Hiram Smith who's the first branch president of, of the Colesville branch. Uh, and then this group, the reason I, we want to talk about this is because this group stays together. Yeah. Throughout church history and all the moves, this Colesville branch, which people will go, why are we still talking about them? It's because they stay together. Yeah. Even I think through the Trek West, some of them. 
Yeah, and, and so Stephen Harper says that there's just so, – so there's persecutions that are happening in Colesville. They're, they're moving out of persecution, but they're also facing persecution as they travel to Ohio. They, uh, Stephen Harper says there's just one person that, that doesn't make it. Um, so you see this sense of unity. Speaking of yeah. the creation of Zion, the substance that they put in between them is love and compassion and care and concern. So they make it to Buffalo Harbor, which is, a, and I think, a, a, a moment where – your listeners might enjoy a, a story. They make it to Buffalo Harbor. The harbor is frozen over, so there's no boats mm-hmm. that can leave. And there's a couple of me- groups of members of the church that have have gathered in the Buffalo Harbor. You have one led by Lucy Mack Smith, Joseph's mom. You have one led by Thomas Marsh, and one by led uh, the Colesville Saints um, th- that are led by uh, Newell Knight, if if I if I remember right. Okay. And they get to the Buffalo Harbor. It's all frozen in. And Sister Smith is just a spitfire, right? <laughs> and she starts preaching uh, in, in just really fantastic ways. Some of the laurels, some of the, the young the young women in the group, are they, they're getting their flirt on with some of the passerbys, right? <laughs> and she, 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 some of them are other, like they're, they're, just, they're just kind of rough around the edges. And she just calls them to repentance. All she's four like, foot ten no, of her, right? I mean, she's... <laughs> we're saints, we got to represent God, right? Oh, you're going to love this. This is my this is my anticipatory statement. You're going to love this. I, <laughs> I I guarantee it. She gets there. Um, oh man, she's so good at writing. It's it's tempting for me to read like four pages here. This will be appropriate for for our our particular context. Here we met the brethren from Colesville who had been detained a week in this place to wait for navigation to open. Since Mr. Smith and Hiram were directed to be in Kirtland by the 1st of April, they had gone the remainder of their journey by land. I inquired of the Colesville brethren if they had told the people that they were Mormons. They seemed surprised at the question and replied, No, by no means. And don't you do it for the world, for if you do, you will not get a boat nor a house. And here you must stay or go back. I told them I would let the people know exactly who I was and what I professed. <laughs> if you, said I, are ashamed of Christ, you will not you will not be prospered as much as I shall. And we will get to Kirtland before you. Right? Like, this is like, this is the race. So check this out. It gets better. While we were yet talking with the Colesville brethren, another boat came up which had on board about 30 Mormon brethren, and Brother Thomas Marsh was one of the company. He came to me and perceived the drift of our conversation, said, now before I share what he says, this is, he's going to be the president of the Quorum of the Twelve. <laughs> okay, yeah. And this is, this is not, I mean, he falls away and comes back, like he's got a, a storied life, but he says, now Mother Smith, and I, 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 I almost think that she's probably like, don't you mother me, son, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, this is not the way to start. Does that usually work with your guys' uh, spouses when you first say, calm down, right? Does that usually just go off great, Yeah, John that Lincoln? now, now thing. That, yeah, um, now, now. <laughs> yeah. Okay, keep going, McLean. Now, Mother Smith, if you do sing and have prayers and acknowledge that you are Mormons here in this place... As you have done all along, you will be mobbed before morning. Can, can, can you almost hear the condescending? condescending? Yeah. 
Come on. Then she says, well, mob it is then. For we shall sing and attend to prayers before sunset, mob or no mob. Okay, now here's the beautiful part of this story. She lives it, right? Mm-hmm. So she sends, there's some people that are that are that have been exposed to the cold. They're getting sick. Uh, there's little kids. There's women in, in her group. And um, she sends Hiram Page out into the, the city to try and find a room where at least the women and the children can go and, and receive some protection. And she says to him, it might be difficult just to let you know, from what I heard of these faithless, from these faithless home skillets, <laughs> it may be difficult, y'all. So she kind of preempts it a little bit. And Hiram Page doesn't have success. <laughs> and then, so he comes back and, and you, you, you know what's going to happen next, don't you? <laughs> yeah. Knowing Sister Smith, she says, well, well, I said, <laughs> I will go myself. And see what I can do for you, and a room you shall have if there is a possibility of getting one on any terms whatsoever. So here's the miracle of what she does. She goes into the community. She talks to the first innkeeper. The innkeeper says, yeah, I got a room for you. And then another uh, um, tenant says, no way. Like, no way. They're not coming here. They could be sick with who knows what. They're not coming here. And Sister Smith, she she says, never mind, it's no matter. I will go somewhere else. I presume I can get another room just as well. And then the lady that's kind of being a a pill says, no, you can't though. For we hunted all over the town and couldn't find one single room until we came here. So, I mean, just a sad moment, right? What what is she feeling between, what is she putting in the, the distance between people? Clearly not love. So she goes to the next inn and she says to the proprietor, do you have a room? It's an, a cheerful old lady. She's nearly 70 years of age. She said, Sister Smith's like, we'll pay anything. We just need a room. The woman says, well, I don't know. Where are you going? To Kirtland, I said. What be you? <laughs> That's a cool question. <laughs> be you Baptists? And she says, no, said I, we are Mormons. Mormons, she said in a quick but low and good-natured tone. Why, I never heard of them before. What be they? <laughs> I told her we did not. This is this is like, this is President Nelson's going to love this. When he listens to the podcast, he's going to make a comment and be like, <laughs> yeah, Hank, sure. this is beautiful. This is my favorite right? part. I, yeah. I told her that we did not acknowledge the name but the world called us so. And I said so that we might mm. know who we were, but our proper name was Latter-day Saints. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, isn't that like, yeah, wow. here we go. Anyway, then she says, Latter-day Saints, said she, I never heard of them before. Sister Smith said, I am the mother of the prophet who brought forth the work and translated the Book of Mormon. What? She said with increased surprise, a prophet in these days? Why, I never heard of that of the like in my life. Uh, will you come if I let you have a room? I told her that I wanted the room for the sisters who were with me, but that I would come with them and stay that day with her. You will come in and sit with me and tell me all about it. I don't know why twas, but just as soon as I saw you, I felt as though I wanted you to stay with me, and I could not bear to have you go away. 
They go, she goes back to the boat. She gets all the sisters. And then this happens. This, this woman says to her, Now come and sit down with me and tell me all about what you are talking about. She stays up practically all night with this woman teaching mm. her. Right? And, and you know what an example. Speaking of consecrated life. And you know what? We're a people that believes in a, in a present God. A close God, a miraculous God who is working in our lives, who who we see every week in church. We see it with our neighbors. We see it in our communities. God is active in our life. Instead of, instead of leading out with, oh, I am a Latter-day Saint, and to tell you the truth, it is a beautiful thing to be. We sometimes think, oh, I'm, I'm a Mormon. And then we let them react or we say, I'm a Latter-day Saint. We let them react and then we decide how we're going to take the conversation. Yeah. Instead of us managing the conversation and saying, I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And can I just tell you, we just had conference and I felt the windows of heaven open and God touch my soul. I know God lives, right? That's that's who we are. That's what we believe. No need to be timid. No, man. This is an exciting I, message. I love the idea of managing the conversation. I, I, I yeah. was, we had some uh, brother come home in our ward who was recently a mission president, and he just walks up to people, you're new here? Do you have any friends? Would you like about a couple of hundred more? And just, you should come <laughs> with me. You should yeah. come with me to church. And and uh, I think that normal and natural way that President Uchtdorf has talked about, it's, it's what you're talking about, McLean. And I want our listeners to know where you got that story. I think I saw, oh, was that yeah. History of Joseph Smith by his mother? Is that what you were holding? Just be careful. Yeah. I mean, I'm not getting royalties, but man, be careful. This book may just change your life. She, oh, absolutely. It almost has a feel of The Saints. You know, The Saints volume is very readable. Um, mm-hmm. Stephen Harper, the other editors, did a fantastic job with it. But, yeah. but it, it reads like that. It just reads so beautifully in her language and her yeah. the way she describes and it it will help for me i use it every semester in my classes but it, but it helps my students to see yeah. just why joseph becomes what he becomes yeah um you know and who I, better I if, who better to tell you about someone than their mother yeah right than their mother yeah. um yeah. It, it surprises me when people yeah. say well it's his mom what does she know it's his mom <laughs> right. this yeah. is a this is a silly example we um about a year ago, we we ended up um, moving homes and, and we kept our, our previous home. We started renting it out and we just got new tenants in and they're the most wonderful people in the world. We love them. But but on their rental application, they put their mom down as, as one of the references. And my first inclination was exactly like you just said, Hank. It was like, oh, yeah, uh, the mom. Yeah. Because, hmm. yeah. I mean, we all have moms. We all know moms. And, and my mom is like the greatest cheerleader in my life. But, but after a... F- 15 or 20 minute conversation with that, with that man's mom, I was like, oh man, please rent my home. Because I, I knew exactly how that son was raised, (laughs) right? I knew, I knew the, the, the principles that that mom was teaching from day one. I knew, and and that's what's going on here, right? I mean, some people like, oh yeah, it's his mom. And I, I get that. And we need to read it understanding that it's his mom, but we also need to read it understanding it's his mom. Yeah. The most intimate 
mm-hmm. witness of of the restoration of Joseph, knowing knowing all sides of Joseph as his mother, and yeah. is this the same story, McLean, where uh, the ice uh, kind of parts? Is there? <laughs> Yes. Would you please, <laughs> oh, you, you, you're a great going. storyteller. Would you please tell us about keep going, <laughs> man? Some people part so, the Red Sea and some people part the ice. And so, you know, I need to, I need to, I need to throw in a disclaimer here. I've always wanted a, a voice acting like, job. Like, I, like uh, driving in the car with my wife when we were just dating. I'd we'd be driving down State Street and I'd I'd do infomercials for local businesses. Saturday, 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 Taco Bell, Taco Bell, you know, and I just go off. And so you just need to know you are feeding, you are fueling a part of what I want in my life that, that may be unhealthy for my kids. Right? <laughs> it's like the, I read the story to my kids and they're like, dad, could you please read it with a normal voice? Yeah. Right? Like, <laughs> so, so getting back to the story. Um, so she has to rebuke some of the members of the church. Well, here's what she says. I found several of the brethren and the sisters engaged in a warm debate, others murmuring and grumbling, and a number of the young ladies were flirting, giggling, and laughing with gentlemen passerbyers who were entirely strangers to them, whilst hundreds of them on the shore on the boat were witnessing this scene of clamor and vanity among our brethren with great interest. I stepped into the mix, and this is what she said, quote, Brother, Brethren and sisters, we call ourselves saints. And, to, and profess to have come out from the world for the purpose of serving God at the expense of all earthly things. And will you, at the very onset, subject the cause of Christ to ridicule by your own unwise and improper conduct? You profess to put your trust in God, then how can you feel to murmur and complain as you do? You are even more unreasonable than the children of Israel were. For here are my sisters pining for their rocking chairs and brethren from whom I expected firmness and energy declare that they positively believe they shall starve to death before they get to the end of their journey. And why is it so? Have any of you lacked? Have I not set food before you every day and made you who had not provided for yourselves as welcome as any, as my own children? Even so, if this were not the case, where is your faith? Where is your confidence in God? Do you not know that all things are in his hands, that he made all things and overrules them? If every saint here would just lift their desires to him in prayer, that the way might be open before us, how easy it would be for God to cause the ice to break away. And in a moment's time, we could be off on our journey but how can you expect the Lord to prosper you when you are continually murmuring before him? Just then, a man cried out from the shore. Can you see, can you get this image? Yeah. I mean, this is loud. Like she is preaching loud enough for everybody to hear. Just then, a man cried from the shore. Is the Book of Mormon true? Oh, he asked the right person. <laughs> that book, said I, was brought forth by the power of God and translated by the same power. And if I could make my voice sound as loud as the trumpet of Michael, the archangel, I would declare the truth from land to land, from sea to sea, and echo it from isle to isle until everyone of the whole family of man was left without excuse. For all should hear the truth of the gospel of the Son of God. I would sound in every ear 
that he would again reveal himself to man on in these last days and set his hand to gather his people together upon a goodly land if they will fear him and walk uprightly before him it shall be unto them for an inheritance but if they rebel against his law his hand will be against them to scatter them abroad and cut them off from the face of the earth hmm. God is now going to do a work upon the earth for the salvation of all who believe it unto the uttermost, even all who call on him, and man cannot hinder it. Yes! (laughs) Right? (laughs) Then she turns to the group of members of the church. Now, brethren and sisters, if you will all of you raise your desires to heaven that the ice may be broken before us and we be set at liberty... To go on our way, as sure as the Lord lives, it shall be done. At that moment, they hear this loud, thunderous noise. The ice breaks. The captain of the ship says, every man to his post. And they they are one of two ships that make it out of the harbor. And as, as it goes out, a man says something to the effect of, there goes the Mormon, co-. here's the quote, there goes the Mormon company. That boat is sunk in the water nine inches deeper than it was before. And mark it, she will sink. There is nothing surer. So there's so much uh, of this um, animosity. Um, They're so sure that the boat will not make it to Fairport Harbor on, on the south side of the lake. That when Sister Smith and the rest of the saints dock, they read of their own deaths in the newspaper. <laughs> Are you kidding? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yep. Reports of our deaths have been greatly exaggerated. <laughs> the, the bystanders were so sure we would sink that they went straight to the, the office and had it published that we were sunk so that when we arrived at Fairport, we read in the papers the news of our own death. <laughs> right? Like, Sister oh Smith... Word. Sister Smith is is so powerful. You know, it's almost like it's almost like you're surprised that the whole boat wasn't taken up to meet the city yeah. of Enoch, you know? Yeah. Oh, so there you I go. I love this. We haven't we haven't talked enough about her, so I'm so glad you shared this story of them making this journey. Oh, uh, I love from it. A New strong, York to Ohio. A strong, powerful woman who basically got up there and prophesied. Yeah. Right, and all said, four foot. I think she's like four ten, yeah. four eleven. She's a tiny. Yeah. Do this, and woman. the ice will break in front of us. I mean, this is the immediate context of section fifty one. Uh, the Colesville Saints eventually make it there a couple of weeks later. So then you get section fifty one um, that really comes in context of of all of this, all of these happenings, right? So you got to remember that the, the the context of this is is a very practical view on 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 living and life. But the you you can never lose the root of of consecration, and the root of consecration being love, love and acknowledgement of God that He provides us with all things, and the idea that we 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 must elevate our views of all mankind and and love right. I mean this is, and so they put in place these these um, these structures that help them to formalize the care for the poor right. And so you can see things like um, verse 2. It must needs be that they be organized according to my laws. If otherwise, they will be cut off. 
Wherefore, let my servant Edward Partridge and those whom he has chosen in whom I am well pleased appoint unto this people their portions, every man equal according to his family, according to his circumstances and his wants. Let my servant Edward Partridge, when he shall appoint a man his portion, give unto him a writing that shall secure unto him his portion, that he shall hold it even with even this right and this inheritance in the church until he transgresses and is not accounted worthy of it by the voice of the church, according to the laws and covenants of the church, to belong to the church. It's all, it's, it's this, this language of, of we're going to give you stewardship. In one point, Joseph says private stewardship, mm. right? Private stewardship. Um, so that you have, have something to manage that you can be anxiously engaged about the building of Zion and the establishment of, of the storehouse that, that, that comes in these later verses. And, and other well, I loved in verse happen. nine, he's, the Lord is saying, this will work if you're yeah. all honest, right? If you're honest and alike and receive alike um, and be one, um, because so many people, I think the first thing you hear this idea of, oh, we're going to kind of, we're going to, you know, we're going to donate and take, and then all of a sudden the greed comes in of, well, who's stopping who from just taking more? And the Lord's saying, you are, <laughs> you are yeah. stopping this, yourself. This will Deal work. Honestly. Yeah. 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 Let me, let me share a little bit. So verse three, um, as you, as you compare this with the Joseph Smith papers and, and some of our earliest records of this revelation, there's two things that are, are different about this revelation. Verse three actually has a, a, por- a portion that we don't have. So there's something that's been okay. removed. And verse five is added um, later. It, it comes, it, it's in print in the 1835 edition, but it's not in in the, the this original yeah. revelation. So let me just read to you some of the, the original in verse three. Wherefore, let my servant Edward Partridge receive the properties of this people. This is the new stuff. Receive the properties of this people, which have covenanted with me to obey the laws which I have given, and let my servant Edward receive the money as it shall be laid before him according to the covenant, and go and obtain a deed or article of this land unto himself, for I have appointed unto him to receive these things, and thus through him the properties of this church shall be covenanted unto me. Wherefore, let my servant Edward Partridge and those whom he has chosen which actually end up being Isaac Morley and John Coral, in whom I am well pleased, appoint unto this people their portion, every man uh, alike, according to their families, according to their wants and needs. So you get even some more of this practical element of these revelations. Like, this is how we're going to manage this. Then later, um, uh, as Edward Partridge moves to Missouri, um, uh, this this basic idea of we're going to take the the money from the members of the church we're going to buy land for them to gather to in Missouri and then we're going to divvy out private stewardships some people are going to have more money and land to give and they're going to receive eventually um a, a smaller portion than what they donate right i mean at least that's the idea right. behind this and so, uh, so this man named named Bates. His last name is Bates. Um, he donates fifty dollars. He ends up leaving the church, and he wants his his land. 
he wants $50 worth of land, which which to us is like 50 bucks of land? Right, yeah. He actually legally sues the church and seems to win this case this case but this man is is his name's Bates. And so verse 5 is actually added in um which Joseph is at, feels at liberty to do. I, I think one of the the scholars that I go to on this is is Stephen Harper but but um but even present Packer has statements about this. Joseph and the early members of the church saw these revelations as able to be continually massaged to come closer to represent the 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 word of the Lord. Yeah. Tony talked it's, about that in our very first episode. These are fluid. These revelations, they can be they can be altered and changed. They're not set in stone. So check out this quote from from the, from Joseph Smith. This actually comes from a letter that he writes to to William uh William Phelps. And it's he writes it in 1832. Um the historical background of the revelation is that that he writes this letter to encourage record keeping which is really a, a powerful historical context. But he writes this letter. He ends up, it seems that he crosses this portion out. But he says, O oh Lord, when will the time come when brother William, thy servant and myself, behold the day that we may stand together and gaze upon eternal wisdom engraven upon the heavens while the majesty of our God holdeth up the dark curtain until we may read and record of eternity to the fullness of of our immortal souls. O oh Lord God, deliver us in thy due time from the time, from the little narrow prison, almost as it were total darkness of paper, pen, and ink, and a crooked, broken, scattered, and imperfect language. And we get other places where Joseph makes these, these statements about the, 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 the pressure it is to write in the name of, of God. And so, so Joseph is like, well, i I'm going to add to this cause it's going to better, it's going to better clarify what I was seeing and feeling and thinking. And, and the early members of the church, are they, they understand that and they're okay with it. They, they know that it's the reality. And, and, you know, we, as members of the church, we should, all of us, men and women should understand this, right? Um, men, men, res, uh, give priesthood blessings, and we try, uh, for, for, for me, we try and give voice to, for me, mostly feelings. Impressions, yeah. feelings. Impressions, yeah. feelings. But, but let's, let's make sure that we understand uh, that, that this is not just a male thing, right? The Doctrine and Covenants is very clear that we need to pray with the Spirit, Right, mm. we we ought to be praying and being be guided by the Spirit as we pray, and that's how prayer can be a conversation. Um, it, it can happen as we pray. We can be prompted and directed to speak and act, and say certain things, and and so this should be something that all of us understand. This idea of we're trying to put in words the the feelings that we have. Um, and the impressions that are coming as we pray. There are two things here that I think are absolutely beautiful and incredibly applicable for us today. First of all, um, verse 3 talks about wants. Um, Verse 13 talks about wants. Verse 14 talks about wants. There's this, this is kind of the beginning of this, the use of this term and this word. Um, 
verse 13 it could be could be even problematic for us depending on how we read this and how we interpret these words again let the bishop appoint a storehouse unto this church and let him let, let all things both in money and in meat which are more than is needful for the wants of this people be kept in the hands of the bishop and let him also reserve unto himself for his own wants and for the wants of his family now, I, there's a reason why I haven't been called to be a bishop, because I would be like, check this verse out, president, stake president, let me have it, right? <laughs> I get to keep according to my keep. wants. <laughs> um, and man, let me tell you, Tesla would be really fun to drive right now. Like, <laughs> all right. But, but here's, the, here's the important part for, for all of us to understand. The Doctrine and Covenants, like we've already talked about, is a, a book of sacred scripture that Joseph felt at liberty to massage in terms of word choice, in, ter- in terms of verses. He he adds a, a verse five later, like he just adds it, right? And we've got to understand that. Let me let me say it this way: Do we believe that God can send a perfect revelation or message to His prophet? I I think we. We do believe that. Do we believe the prophet has the capacity to perfectly receive that message? I'm not sure. I'm not yeah. sure if we believe that or not. Do, do we have? Do we believe that a prophet has the perfect ability to communicate a perfect revelation that God has given to to, to a prophet in, in word? I don't know if we believe that. I, I don't right. know if we believe that. Um, I mean, I, even I, the Lord says early, early in the revelations, you're going to receive these as if from my own mouth in all patience and faith. That kind yeah. of implies. Sec- section one, he talks about they, they come to an understanding in their weakness. Right. So so we do have some application here. I, I want to be a little bit sensitive. Some people would probably say, yes, we do believe that. And some some people would say, no, we don't believe that. I, I, I think that as a historian, I would say we we don't believe that. Or we shouldn't. We don't believe yeah. the, the, the prophets. <laughs> we shouldn't believe the, the prophets' perfect ability to perfectly understand a revelation and perfectly communicate it. Now, here's the, here's the complexity of that. Even if we did believe that, language changes over time. I still remember saying to my my grandpa, right, like, that's man, that's sick. And grandpa's like, what? Someone's sick? Like, no, grandpa, right. that's sick, right? Like. Like language changes over time. And this is a case, this is a really important case where language has changed. This is from Stephen Harper's book, but he said, the Lord uses the word wants four times in section 51. That word no longer means what it did in those revelations and others. The word want has undergone a major sense change in our society in the last 100 years. Uh, Noah Webster published his great dictionary in 1828. That's a really good date for a reference for the restoration of the church. Um, in it, we find the reverse of today's usage. The primary meaning he lists and the next three definitions all deal with lacking or poverty or deficiency or necessity. Uh, Joseph Smith used the word wants and needs as synonyms. Perhaps by using both words in section 51, verse 3, the Lord means to emphasize them, or perhaps he intends to expand the idea of needs beyond mere necessities, it is most unlikely that he used want with today's definition, something desired, demanded, or required. Do you know what it reminded me of is the parable of the prodigal son who went into a far country and he began to be in want. 
And right. I thought that's that that kind of a usage, you know. Yeah. Let me take this one one step further because I think it's really important for our readers to understand. Because you might think I I am I am reducing confidence in scripture. That is not at all my point here in bringing this up. I think it actually helps appropriately place scripture in our religious life. So so if someone was reading this scripture and didn't have access to some of Stephen Harper's work, he, he's written a fantastic article talking about communication theory and scripture. Uh, and this is where much of, of this comes from. We've got to read scripture with God, with the Holy Ghost, with the Holy Spirit, a member of the Godhead, to help us to make an end around. So, so I've kind of charted this out for you. God gives to prophet, prophet interprets, writes into scripture, and then scripture is read by us. Well, we've got to, to have an end around. We can't just go back up the ladder. We've got to read the scripture, understand the historical context, but then make an end around and include God in our scripture reading so that he can help us to understand the nuance and the meaning, his initial impulse and we call this exegesis and eisegesis in, in nerd talk. But in order to appropriately make personal application, eisegesis, we got to understand the exegesis, what God initially was talking to them about in their situation and time. And so as we we create eisegesis with, with the appropriate understanding of the historical context, it helps us to uh, understand God's message and God's message to us specifically. Now, here's here's one of those messages. So, so language and revelation and the scripture, this is one of the most beautiful things about the restoration for me. God is so committed to personal interactions with us. He asks us to pray multiple times a day. He asks us to read scriptures, which after our conversation just recently, right, just barely, that's an opportunity to interact with God, not, not just it, not just mind information, but interaction, right? We partake of the sacrament once a week, another opportunity for interaction, right? And and you see clearly God is trying to interact with his saints. This this whole attempt at Zion, creation of Zion, is, is to get God to be with us and in our midst. Now, um, uh, and you kind of see that in this this section, but also come with me to, to verse 16 and 17. The, the Colville Saints are going to be moving to Thompson. They're going to begin to establish themselves on Lehman Copley's farm. And very quickly, you know, Lehman Copley, Parley Pratt, Sydney Rigdon, they go up and they, they have this, this teaching experience among the, the Shakers. And shortly after, Copley invites Ashbel Kitchell to come back with him and teach the members of the church. There's a confrontation with, with I, I believe it's Newell Knight, with Ashbel Kitchell and Newell Knight. Copley goes back to the Shakers. He's out. But Copley ends up saying, I'm going back to the Shakers, so off my land. Yeah. Yeah. But, but in context, people might think, well, God knew that. God knew that. Why didn't he just send the members of the church straight to Missouri? That's what he's going to do in section, a few sections later. Why does he just send them straight through? Well, first of all, 
there's something to be said about God treating us in our moments. He doesn't treat Lehman Copley poorly because of what Lehman Copley will eventually do. Hmm. He treats Lehman Copley as Lehman Copley in the moment. And he says, this is an opportunity for Lehman Copley. He's going to learn. He's going to develop. He's going to grow. He's going to... And, and does he measure up? Well, no, he, he, he doesn't seem to measure up, right? He, he goes back on his agreement and in a really fun entrepreneurial way... He, the saints, their original agreement is, come, I'll let you stay on my, my, my land. You can build me fences. You can plant my, my crops. You can even build some houses and it'll be perfect. You know, we'll, 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 we'll exchange. And then he kicks him off the land and he's like, well, I'm going to charge you $60 because you planted my crops. You built my fence, <laughs> right? And it kind of a, a twist. But, but check out what God says to the saints as they begin to establish themselves on Copley's farm. And I, this is verse 16, I consecrate unto them this land for a little season until I, the Lord, shall provide for them otherwise and command them to go hence. But verse 17, and the hour and the day is not given unto them. Wherefore, let them act upon this land as for years. And this shall turn unto them for their good. Can, I, let, can, can we just spend a second dissecting those two thoughts? The fact that he wants them to act upon this land as for years. And then the next phrase, it shall turn unto them for their good. Right? These are two powerful thoughts, I think. Um, and to be really honest with you, I'm, I'm really curious what comes to your guys' mind as you as you read, as you think about those two in context of the history. Yeah, I was going to say, first of all, the Lord knows they're not going to be there long. Yeah. But it's not going to be, <laughs> he's, he's subtly, it's a little season, but you never know what a little season means with the Lord. He also yeah. says he comes quickly, right, John? Um, uh, but also uh, the idea of, you're going to be a little bit disappointed in how this turns out. So just know beforehand, it's going to be for your good. It's going to, it's going to be okay. Yeah, I had marked that uh, act upon this land as for years because I've heard people who have served in different colonies in the church and some who have to be kind of mobile, uh, you know, institute teachers and seminary teachers who don't know where their new assignment will be that just say, you know, we just figure we're going to be here. And so we're going to do exactly that. We're going to act as if we're going to be here for a long time, put down our roots and everything, and then we'll see. But it'll be for our good. So that's that's why I marked it, because I know I've heard that thought expressed before. That is interesting you say that, John, because I've, I've had moments in my life, and I know uh, some others have well, uh, probably have them as well, is uh, the idea of, well, I'm probably almost done with this calling, so I'm kind of <laughs> going to let up a little bit, right? And uh, maybe the Lord's going, why don't you just perform in your calling like yeah. you're never going to be released? Yeah. And then I'll let you know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and, and think, about, think about it in this way. This, this next phrase, this shall turn unto them for their, their good. I'm close to finishing the, the biography of Larry H. Miller. And he, at one point in, in his book... He's not being recognized 
um, for his his work. He, he's kind of revolutionary, revolutionizing the the auto parts business, and he basically stops giving work his his heart. And his, if I remember right, it's his grandpa that says to him, "You you better stop that right now. You have got to be. You've got to develop the character of hard work." In integrity. This has nothing to do with what you get out of it. It is what you're becoming. Right? And, and that I think is a really powerful thought here in this context. I think God is saying, act upon this land as, as for years, knowing well assured that they will be moving way, way quickly, very quickly, right? But he also knows that this is not a temporal thing, this is a spiritual thing. And if they approach it correctly, it will change their very nature. And they will become more godlike, more divine, more, more fit for the kingdom, right? More used would I be, right? And, and so it has to, that has to be a part of, of what they're doing. That has to be a mentality. It has to be a mindset. Okay, now, now well, I did... It's, a, it's oh, a, such an applicable, it's such an applicable principle for all of us. Um, in yeah. that sometimes when we don't see the fruits of, of the hard work we put in, sometimes we think, oh, I failed or that. Why did we even do that at all? It didn't help. And the Lord's going, it did help. It did help yeah. that, you know, we've I, got science a, camp coming up, you know, and look same thing what they thought, but what really happened. Yeah. Yeah. And Zion's camp is one of my favorites because Brigham, Brigham comes back and, and, and everyone's like, well, what good was that? Well, that was a waste of time. That was a yeah. waste of time. And you, when you read Brigham's statements, first of all, it's Brigham, right? It's, <laughs> it's powerful line of the Lord Brigham who says, I was well paid, paid with interest to sit at the foot of the prophet. And it, and it just, and he mm. says that from that point on, angels never watched Joseph closer, right? But how many of us in our life, um, are asked, we feel like we're asked to do something from the Lord. And it just, the, the expectation that like, like the Edward Partridge expectation is not met in any way. And we've got to have the faith of these members of the church to realize that we're, we're building character. It's not always about the outcome uh, that we think of. It's about mm-hmm. The eternal outcome. It's about the character development. It's about it's about more than more than that. It's about more than having a place to live temporarily. It's about a character that that they are going to need in Zion. Can you imagine if they they approached Zion with that idea? Like, oh yeah, God told us that we we're going to get kicked out of our homes, so, so we're just going to kind of we're going to wait for do, that to happen. <laughs> we're going to survive, right? And let's and, just put up the tent instead of you know cut down some wood. Yeah. yeah. Never, the, never plant the trees. Never, right. Never put up the fence. Never cultivate the land because you're, we're not going to be here that long. So I, this principle is absolutely crucial. You know, um, I, a student of mine at BYU had a serious impact on my life when she, she gave a, uh, what's called a student symposium message. Her name was, um, Annika. And she talked about, uh, she talked about going on her mission 18 months she spends in Italy and she doesn't baptize a single person while her brother is in a country in South America and is writing to her going, we can't, I can't stop the flood of people that were baptizing here. Right. Like, 
Um, pruned fingers, right? He's like, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm in the baptism spot so much, right, my like, fingers are permanently pruned. <laughs> and she, she, um, she came to this. She came to this same realization on her own that it's not about the outcome. It never was about the outcome. If there is an outcome, great. If there's not, um, that's not what it was about. It was about this. This will be for your good. This shall turn unto them for their good. It took her a while to come to it, but when she did, it was a powerful lesson for her uh, to watch out for expectations um, and to be not to be so disappointed when the Lord doesn't meet my expectation. I've, I've heard a, a, it's been attributed to Mother Teresa. I don't have a, a I don't have it in print, but that she had said once, we are not called to be successful in all things. We are called to be faithful in all things. Hmm. And I've always loved that. You're, part of that conversion is, is, about, is about what you're becoming. I, I love that President Oaks, what was it, October 2000, the challenge to become? Do you remember that talk? Yeah. Because I think we all have a little law of Moses in us that wants the check boxes and, and focus on what do I do, what do I do, what do I do? And President Oaks was like, eh, it's not so much what we know or even what we do, it's what, what we're becoming. And uh, I, I always loved that idea. I love that the Lord drops him a tiny little hint in verse 16. So when they go back and they look at the revelation, they're like, oh, you knew the whole time. A right? little <laughs> yeah. 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 This, this yeah. is the same one, though, who says, I come quickly, and he's been saying it for 200 years. So Right. Yeah. Eventually, we're going to get to this idea of plant yourself. Um, act upon this, act upon this land as if for years. Use your agency. This, there's references here to section 58. It, I'm not going to command you in all things. You should be anxiously engaged about many things and bring it past much righteousness without being directed in everything. You just use your agency, act, and be a steward and 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 as if for years, as if for years, right? I, I think and the idea is the, I love thing. this. Yeah, that the expectation isn't the point. It's the, the product, the final whatever ends up happening at the end. That's not the point. Because they're going to end up leaving Missouri and they're going to go, what was all that for? In Zion's camp, I'm thinking of, you know, not only missionaries who maybe don't have a lot of success. I'm thinking of someone who's married for, for 25, 30, 35 years and then ends up getting a divorce saying, well, that was all a waste. And the Lord is saying, no, 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 it was not. It was not a waste. Did I know that was going to happen? Yes, I knew that was going to happen. But it will. I can turn this for your good. I can turn this investment you made for your good. So, oh, McLean, I think this principle that you, that you found here in section 51 is, is, I mean, life-changing for a lot of people. I have a daughter who is uh, going to, uh, has been called to serve in Tahiti, but she's first going to Tucson in light of COVID and everything. And this principle kind of fits right there. We don't know how long she'll be in Tucson. What was the elder Bednar said? Look, it says you are uh, called to serve, and another phrase in your call says you are assigned to labor. The assigned to labor thing might change, but you are called to serve. That's mm. the main thing. And so act upon this land as for years. Uh, we don't know how long she'll be in Tucson. Um, she'll be... So she she needs yeah. to per not pretend. She needs to believe, hey, I might be here the entire mission. I'm going to, I'm going to act as if I'm going to be. What a yeah. great yeah. principle. It's a great principle. Yeah. I was just talking to uh, 
uh, a return missionary just the other day here at the Institute, and they said that you know one of their siblings is doing the home MTC, and she just mentioned that this has absolutely changed her whole family. Right, I mean, like, like it's it's not just the MTC is no longer just about the individual missionary, but it's a it's about the whole family and and the influence that that can have in the home. And you, you think about Elder Bednar, isn't it Elder Bednar that talks about um, home centered, right? right? Like, like the 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 home is temple prep and mission prep, and, you know, and 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 we need to do a better job of extending that. Um, Longer than just the three weeks or the the two months of of the official home MTC, but but yeah, beautiful, beautiful thing. That's thing. a great it changes principle. families. Please join us for part two of this podcast. <laughs>